Psalm 42. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been food, have been my food day and night, will they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in, in procession to the house of God, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you, from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Will they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat. Kiddos can head downstairs. Let me uh, pray for us and we'll, we'll get started. Father, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for the Psalms in particular and Psalm 42. Uh, in particular, that just shows us um, uh, the the intimacy that and the honesty that we can have with you, and the hope that we have in our King Jesus. Father, in, in His name, would you uh, send your Spirit uh, to open our hearts, uh, to draw us into this way of being with you, with our hearts and with our souls, and not just our heads? Uh, would you uh, create us, uh, create in us emotional health that's that's rooted in the gospel, uh, and that would uh, display your glory to the world? In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, good morning. My name is Josh. I'm the pastor here. It's great to be with you. Uh, one of the things we're trying to do with this psalm series is give you resources to participate and kind of buy in. Uh, one of the things that's true about being a human is that just hearing something very rarely helps you out much. we got to kind of embody it. we got to do it. And one of the resources out on the table there is this little book called The Songs of Jesus. And it's a, it's a little daily devotional through the psalms written by uh, a pastor in New York named Tim Keller. And uh, it's just a really simple thing. It would only take a, a little bit of time uh, to read and kind of engage with the psalm. You'd go through all the psalms in a year, and then it has a little kind of explanation, and then just kind of, uh, it even has a little like sample prayer, a way you can pray this psalm back. Uh, so it's not a silver bullet. It's not going to revolutionize everything. But if you're wanting to get into the psalms and kind of get the psalms into you, that'd be a great resource. It's, it's uh, on, on the table, the resource table out there. Hi, hi, highly recommend uh, and I, I think we're asking a donation, but if you know that's a hindrance, just take one. We're not trying to make any money. Well, there was a, a, a break in my schooling somewhere, high school or college, I don't remember, and I'd been reading a lot of really dense books for school when I got home. It was a Christmas break, and I borrowed some uh, Christian chiclet from my mom, and uh, who's here today. And I'm actually rereading these books now, and they're, they're really fun. Um, but it's, it's a historical fiction, and it's just kind of like a, a fun story, you know, it's, and it's, and it's technically Christian, if you will. But because I've been reading all this dense stuff, I just like fell into these books. There were three of them, and I just like lost myself in them during Christmas break. And there was a moment where I was 
thinking about, I wasn't reading them, and I was thinking about the characters, and I, start, and I almost started praying for the characters, because they just kind of, like, become my world. It, just got, it had been who I was thinking about and reading about, and it was, you know, just a really uh, entertaining story that had kind of sucked me in. But I was just totally immense in the story, and it was shaping the way that I think. And I think that's just how God created humans to work. We're storied creatures. We're living a story. God uh, gave us his word in the form of a story. Genesis to Revelation is telling one story of what God is doing here on the earth. Uh, our our in entertainment industry is one of the biggest because we love our stories. We want people to tell us stories. And I say all this because that's a helpful way to see the song, see scripture as a whole, as God's story that we want to immerse ourselves in, to shape the way we think and the way we imagine and the way we hope and how we pray. And the Psalms in particular uh, can, can kind of give us the language of God's story. We had a discussion in Connecting Group a couple weeks ago, and someone used the terms emotional education. We were kind of talking about what emotions were like in our families growing up, and he described it as his emotional education, or, you know, or lack thereof. And that's true for all of us, that emotions are not some, something that we grow, were born knowing how to deal with. We're born having them, but we're not necessarily born emotionally intelligent, just like any kind of intelligence. It's something we have to grow in. And emotions in particular are something that uh, I think the Psalms show us require language. There's a language of emotion, of how to express them and share them. There's ways that are helpful and unhelpful. And just like a child growing up in a home learns how to speak, learns the language of, of, of the family by absorbing the, the, the language of his family and his parents, he learns the story of the world through his family and their language. And as Jesus follows, we're, followers, we're God's children. And so when we immerse ourselves in the Psalms, uh, we, we begin to learn the language of God. We, we learn how to talk to God according to the ways that he has shown us in the word. Uh, we don't do this to get him to love us more. We don't you know, read our Bibles to get a gold star on a wall or anything like that. But it's because how we, it's how we experience his love. The dominant story that we all live in every day, the air we breathe that we don't even realize out in the world is that you have to earn it. You have to earn love. You have to be good enough or look good enough or be lovable enough or a good enough mom or successful enough in your career to be lovable, to be worthy. And that is the broad way, Jesus says, that leads to destruction. And we come to the Psalms to hear God's language, a distinctly different story based on grace, that we are loved not because of what we do, but because of what Jesus has done. So speaking to God in the way of the Psalms is a way to live out grace, is the way to, to, to speak in the words of grace that, that God has given us. The phrases and poetry of the Psalms, uh, they're, they're meant to capture our, our hearts and minds like lyrics. Uh, like if you've ever seen The Office, the love me, love me song, it'll get stuck in your head. And the reason I say that is because the Psalms, they, they inform the way we pray. If prayer is kind of like broccoli, you know, like your vegetables, you need three to five servings a day. Uh, instead of like the air you breathe, like you don't know how to live without it, uh, that's okay. I think we all kind of start, if you've grown up in church, where it's like, yeah, I know I got to pray, and my prayer life isn't what it should be. The Psalms show us that prayer is way more like just the, our, the air we breathe, the, 
the, the words that we need to live to commune with our Father. If prayer is more like an awkward, formal talk with a stranger than a loving Father, then the Psalms can show us what it's like to talk to God as a loving Father. And so kind of the, the point of the, the resource table and just this whole series is very much just to give a little taste of the Psalms. It's, the sermons aren't necessarily meant to be the like end-all, be-all of our time through the Psalms, but really just an encouragement to see the beauty that they are and then to get them into our hearts and minds. So you know, listen to the Psalms on, the, on your way to work, read the Psalms on your lunch break, you know, s- sneak, sneak a Psalm in just uh, before or after dinner. So, you know, just get creative on how to get the Psalms in, into our hearts and minds. And uh, it's, it's not going to be like read a Psalm, whew, you know, you're now emotionally healthy. Uh, but it's just good news. The Psalms are good news that we don't have to figure out how to pray on our own. We don't have to figure out how to talk to God on our own. We can read them and we can pray them in response. So kind of a, a overview of what we're doing uh, in, in the Psalms. And today, our Psalm uh, 42 shows us how to pray our despair. And I, I changed that word despair in the title like five times this week, trying to figure out what, what would kind of capture both what makes the most sense and what, the, what is going on in this Psalm. Uh, because in particular, I think our culture is very much uh, kind of jump ship on despair it's not a word we use a lot uh, but instead we use depression a ton depression is everywhere it's on the rise statistically we got medicine for it there's all kinds of things going on with depression and i've said it before one of the hopes is you know clinical biochemical depression aside which is a real thing it's not what we're talking about here just talking about general hopelessness and despair uh, is is something that is a biblical category Depression isn't something we need purely just to go to psychology or positive motivational memes on Instagram or something like that, but it's a, it's a category that God is aware of, that he knows is part of being a human. And Psalm 42 is showing us that he's aware of, of spiritual despair, spiritual depression, which you could probably make the argument that all depression is, is essentially uh, spiritual at its core. It's the lack of hope feeling like you're stuck and there's no way out and nothing will ever get better. So we're going to look at the three C's. I'm always excited whenever I can get the first letter of my points to be the same, so it's your lucky day. Three C's, we got the condition of spiritual despair, the causes of spiritual despair, and the cure. And spoiler alert, it's Jesus. Jesus is the cure. So let's dive in. Let's read the psalm. We're in Psalm 42. Read the whole thing again and work through it. This is on page 881. If you're following along in the Pew Bible. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for, for I will yet praise him, my God and my, my Savior and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of the Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. 
By day the Lord directs his love, at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So, looking at the condition of spiritual despair, we begin with what you might have seen on a coffee cup if you grew up in church culture. The deer pants for streams of water, my soul pants for you, O God. You might have seen a little picture of a deer kind of prancing through a meadow. And a deer panting uh, and is, is kind of interesting. I don't know a lot about deer. Some of you are hunters. You probably might know this. Uh, but deers uh, are almost never thirsty because they have instincts to find water. So it's not like this is a deer who just like got done with a nice workout from uh, a hunter or something like that. And it's like, oh, I need a little, little refreshment. When a deer pants, that means it's this life-threatening doubt or I'm sorry, drought, um, where there's, there's no water to be found. His instincts to find water, there's none. And so he's on the ground, on his side, with a swollen tongue, panting the last minutes, days, or weeks of his life. So this is like a life and death situation. It's not a cute, tired deer. It's a deer on the edge of death with a swollen, dry tongue because it's a, dr because it's a drought. So we're, we're looking at how the psalm how the Bible describes spiritual despair, spiritual depression, if you will. And I hope you, if you've ever experienced that, experienced spiritual depression, that, that you see the Bible not pulling any punches. The Bible's not trying to tie a bow on what it is like to despair. You see that in the question that he asks in verse 2. Where can I go to meet with God? You see him looking for the thing, like the deer looking for water, looking for the thing that would satisfy him and not finding it. Verse 7 also describes the condition of spiritual despair. Deep calls to deep and the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. This is a, a deep emptiness where it's just void upon void. You got one emptiness shouting to another emptiness and there's just nothing. There's just nothing to fill it up. And this is, this is poetry. This is uh, the, the psalmist trying to just capture, capture the, the, the heart, the, the sentiments of despair. And then he says, all your waves and breakers have swept over me, just buffeted by life, one thing after another. You get a little bit of stability. You get maybe not even on your feet, but on your knees. And the next thing happens, getting it from all sides. It's interesting to note that the psalmist is talking to God and he says, it's your waves and your breakers have swept over me. This is an example of, of someone who has let scripture, let the psalms define their language, define their understanding of life. That even in his despair, even in the, the empty, emptiness upon emptiness, he see his prayer is God-centric. God is powerful. He knows God is powerful. He acknowledges that God is powerful even when he hates it, even when he doesn't like it. And then verse 9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about in mourning, oppressed by the enemy? There's confusion. There's that question, why, God, are you kidding me? 
At the end of the day, it's, it's hopelessness. You see this when we get to the part where he starts talking to himself. He says, put your hope in God. At the end of the day, spiritual depression is hopelessness, where it feels like there's no way out. There's nothing good in you. There's nothing good outside of you. There's no hope for anything better. God is far away. So much of the Psalms, I think for us in our current day and age, my prayer is that they, we would just let them show us what is. There's not necessarily a whole lot of like super intense acti- action steps that we might need to take, but I just, again, my prayer is that these, we would let these define reality. Uh, maybe you're not, maybe you're in a, like an upswing spiritually and you're just like, well, that doesn't apply to me. We'll just tuck this in your back pocket because it's probably going to come. Uh, but what, what I want us to see is just like what, what the Bible acknowledges is to be true and even normal part of being a Christian is that this, this level of hopelessness, of stuckness, of despair, of God feeling far, far away, even as you call out to him, th- this, is what, this is what is. This is what uh, the Bible is telling us it means to be a human, is to show up to this, this feeling, this season of life. So looking now to the causes of spiritual despair or depression. First off, there's no confession in this psalm, which if I'm honest makes me really uncomfortable. And this probably shows a lot of the ugliness in my heart as a pastor, but if someone's having a tough spiritual time, I don't know about you, but my first instinct is like, well, then what are you doing wrong? Or what aren't you doing? <laughs> you know, it's like, what, what, is, what is the thing that you need to confess? What is the, and we're all about repentance and confession here. We have that every week. Uh, that is a part of it. But I think it's really significant. This psalm, again, is showing us that a spiritual dry season, a spiritual drought, is not necessarily because of sin. It can be, very much that can be an issue. But here's the sneaky thing as I thought about that idea of like wanting to put it back on ourselves. Like, oh, there's a problem spiritually, I'm gonna figure out what you're doing wrong. So ultimately that is control. If it's our fault, then we can fix it. If it's our fault, then we can go out and make it happen. If it's not our fault, then we just let deep call out to deep and we wait. So I guess I, I'm seeing in my own heart from this psalm uh, that some of the, uh, the condemnation we put on ourselves, uh, some of the, the kind of like sin witch hunt, you know, that we can go in or just the low grade guilt that we live in ultimately is, is us trying to control our spiritual despair, us trying to take control of it rather than waiting on God to be with us. This is just part of the life of a Jesus follower, spiritual darkness and despair that's not from sin. Jesus experienced this. But the psalm is so fascinating because he gives us some causes for his spiritual despair that have been really convicting to me. And this might be too nuanced to be helpful, so I just pray the Holy Spirit uses it. He's not confessing anything. when he, We're going to look at these verses where he talks about his causes of, of spiritual despair. He's not confessing anything. He's pointing to realities or situations in his life that have contributed to spiritual despair and, and depression. And, and I think within them, we can see uh, maybe some invitations for us to, to repent, us to, to confess areas. 
I don't know if that makes sense, but this guy is not confessing anything. He's not saying this is a result of my sin, that God feels far away. But as we look at the components of spiritual, uh, the, the causes of spiritual despair, let's consider our, our interaction with these things. The first one, look at verse 4. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. So the first cause that we see of uh, spiritual despair, one of the contributing factors, is exile, is a lack of community, being separated from God's people. We don't know why. We don't know why uh, he's no longer able to um, be with the multitude in the house of God. But this is super fun to think about. Uh, if, if you're wondering about the procession, uh, leading the procession to the house of God, this is how worship gatherings happen in this, in the, this day and age. Is there was you know, the place of worship, but they would all gather outside of it. And the band would start going, they'd all get hyped up, and then they like parade into the, into the worship space. So next week we're starting that. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's super fun to think about this like sweet like celebration as all God's people get together in this place, and they all march in singing with the music going into the, into the place of worship, which was a way bigger deal here than it is now. Um, so you see him thinking about the sweetness of seeing God, seeing the reality of God's presence and goodness as he worships and celebrates with God's people in a fun musical parade. What we see is the connection between community and spiritual despair. The connection between being with the people of God, the community of God, our brothers and sisters, and knowing God's nearness and love. So this guy, again, we don't know why he doesn't have it. He's exiled for some reason or other, and he's, and he's feeling that gap. Because here's the, the, here's the reality of being a human, is that we're relational beings, there's aspects of ourselves and aspects of other people we can't experience except within a relationship. C.S. Lewis writes in his book, The Four Loves, he tells the story of three friends, himself, his, his, the C stands for Clive, fun fact. There's Clive, Ronald, and Charles, three guys and the bros, they're friends. When Charles dies, he says in the book, I didn't just lose Charles, I lost part of Ronald. There was a part of Ronald that only Charles could bring out in a relationship, and I enjoyed that. I, I enjoyed that part of Ronald that was only there. And so now that Charles is gone, the, the mourning was kind of twofold, or it had multiple dimensions. This is why community is important. This is why God saves us to a family, because there are elements of God's presence, of his love and goodness, that we cannot experience apart from the people of God. Knowing Jesus never happens one-on-one. -on -one. You almost never see Jesus one-on-one -on -one with someone when he was walking on earth. He had his 12, then he had his inner posse of three. Very rarely is he one-on-one -on -one with people. And so the two things that this would, should cause us to consider is, is one... Is, is there maybe a sin of omission, kind of keeping God's people at a distance and then wondering why God himself feels so distant and why we are so sad and despairing and hopeless? And because so many of us are transitory, we've lived different places and have connections you know, all over the world, it's easy to kind of have you know, this, uh, this kind of 
what's it called where you get a, a art show and you get all the paintings together? A gallery. Yeah, you kind of have like a gallery of friends and it's been like picked and selected and you're like, these are my people. These are my people that, that I'm gonna go to. They don't live here and I call them when I feel like it. But we see this is like real life, the people of God in a place that we don't pick. There's so much providence in God and who he puts in our covenant church community. And so it's, it's worth when we're looking at our spiritual state, if we see elements of depression and despair, am I trying to do it alone? Am I resisting participating in life with God and, and his people? And then conversely, one of the reasons why God allows things to be taken out of our life is so we can see that we might be putting too much stock in them, too much weight in them, depending on them too much. And so are we mad that our church family isn't how it is or God, we don't have a certain amount of friends or a type of friend around us? And we're trying to replace God with that. Do you see, do you see the nuance there where th he's not confessing this? He's just stating a fact. I'm being cut off from my church family. It's causing despair. And, and so when we are in that place of despair, consider what is your relationship like with the church? Is it that they're, you're mad at them because they're letting you down and they're not enough? Or is it that you're keeping them at arm's length and not letting them in or making them a priority? The next cause of despair is in the same verse. I'll read it again. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. What we see here is this guy used to be the leader of the parade. He used to be a worship leader. He was up front. Imagine having all your friends all hyped up on God behind you and just leading everybody in to the, the place of worship. That was probably a pretty affirming, exciting way to experience God's presence and, and leadership. What we see is that our, our job, our capacity, our role in life can have a huge effect on our, our spiritual state, how close we feel to God. I've, I've heard several pastors talk about needing to get out of the pastorate because they didn't know how to be with God except as a, as a pastor. They didn't know how to be with God just as a person, as a, as, as a sheep. Because they were so focused on being a shepherd, it's, it's, a, it's a very malicious thing to, to watch out from. So our, our job, our capacity could be uh, motherhood or fatherhood or a, a certain uh, position in the church or you know, wherever. Some, some kind of thing that we do, some kind of role that we play. Because one of the, the main myths, the main false stories of our culture is that you are what you do. You see this? Uh, as I've tried to spend time with seniors and their capacity wanes and there's very little that they can do and it's, it's, it's a very dark place or you see it in people not being able to retire. They just keep working, working, working. It's like, what are you working for? And, and again, even, even in ministry, you see people leading a church and then like not even going to church when, you know, when something blows up. You're like, what's, what's going on there? It is true that roles that we play, things we do, are ways, are means to experience the presence of God, but they can also become the thing that we base it on. So again, could there be an overemphasis on what we do that makes, and, and when we don't have it, we don't feel like we're on top of it, or we're competent, or we're crushing it, or we can write a blog post to tell people how to do it, then, well, God's far away from me. 
Or are we the other side, is that we're just lazy and apathetic? We don't actually participate and play a role that God might have for us, and so he feels far away. The last cause we're going to look at, there's a few more in here, but we're just going to get to three, is in verse three, the first part. He says, my tears have been my food day and night. Again, this is poetry. He's not literally, you know, eating his tears, I don't think. Uh, but he's talking about just having no appetite, like not eating. This is showing us the connection between our spiritual state and our body and our physical state. Our spiritual and our physical state are very much interrelated. Your, your physical body has immense implications for our spiritual vitality. And, and if you're like me in deep emotional distress and despair and confusion and hopelessness, like our bodies can just become like an afterthought, like a, like a meat suit that we either forget or we kind of abuse to get some kind of comfort and manipulate according to our whims. We got stress fasters, which it sounds like this guy is, and then stress eaters. <clears throat> Neither are particularly healthy. But to what degree does food affect your, your well-being and your emotional state? Everybody has probably experienced being hangry at some point. And then on the, on the flip side, because we live in a culture of just such over-the-top abundance, uh, how do you feel after you just eat until it hurts? Like, what is your emotional or spiritual state? You're like, well, I don't think anything because I, I have a food baby and I'm, my brain is off because all the blood is trying to digest you know, this Chinese buffet I just ate. <coughs> My friend said that, not me. <laughs> and then conversely, physical exercise. And I'm not talking about like CrossFit five days a week. I'm talking about like moving our legs like humans the way God designed it to, to be, like, you know, a 30-minute walk uh, or something like that. <clears throat> and then the last one is, is sleep. We get this for kids pre pretty easily. We were at, uh, we were at, the blue cow last night for Camille's birthday and uh, it was about 30 minutes past Johnny's bedtime and he started melting down um, and doing his like hilarious like laughing really hard crying really hard just like with no transition talk about emotional issues I mean, <laughs> read some psalms to that kid but none of us were frustrated or surprised because it was 30 minutes past his bedtime and, and he's a baby conversely when the youth group came last week I had to stay up to 1130 probably four hours later than I, <laughs> than I wanted to. And so I was like sitting there watching a baseball game because I had to let them into the church. They were going to sleep over in the Ashley building. And I was like questioning my entire life. It was the wheels were coming off because I was like so tired. And I just had to be like, stop thinking about things. Just like get the kids to sleep and then, you know, and then try again tomorrow. And we laugh about this, but it's just, you know, really basic, you know, common sense. We need to like, bring our whole life into consideration uh, when, <coughs> when we haven't eaten well or at all, or we have, we've been sitting still for, and that's very easy to do. You like wake up and sit, you walk to the car and you sit, and you walk to work and you sit, and, or maybe we just need to get some sleep. <coughs> Scripture calls us to glorify God with our bodies. We were bought with the price, so we glorify God. God with our bodies. The Romans says we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. The everyday parts of being human in a body 
we offer to God. And so if we're just totally neglecting that, then it, it would give us cause to consider our spiritual state and how it is affected. So those are the causes. You chew on those. Look at the cure. Flip over to uh, John 19. It's on page 1686. Wait, no, it's not, sorry. 1684. Looking at Jesus. Verse 23. John 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, <coughs> dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, the undergarment remaining. So Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been crucified. Then skip down to 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine and vi vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's unbelievable how many psalms point to Jesus. And we see Jesus thirsting the way the soul did in this psalm. But he wasn't thirsting because of anything that he did. He was thirsting because of all the stuff that we have done. Jesus said, I thirst, so that we know that when we're thirsting in our souls, we will be satisfied. Because he drank that wine, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit, and then he, three days later, he rose again. This defines our hope. The answer to spiritual despair and depression is hope. And we see that our hope is not in any ethereal thought or idea. It's in a real man on a real cross who drank real wine and vinegar and really died and then rose again in real life and calls us to that. So how do we get this hope into our despair? When deep is calling to deep, how do we embrace this? Because this is not a sermon where it's like, oh, you're sad? Just think about Jesus on the cross and be happy. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about seeing our hope as it is, and letting it, by the power of the Spirit, get into our hearts. We'll flip back to our Psalm 881, and we'll see what the psalmist does. Look at verse 5. It's also 5 and 11. He repeats this. Anytime... A passage repeats something, that's their version of like underlining and emboldening it. It's like, pay attention, look at this. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So the first thing that we can do to take this hope, the hope of Jesus, and get it into our hearts, is we talk to our souls, we don't listen to our souls. It's kind of a nerdy thing, but the way scripture talks about our souls, it's like, you know, it's like they're an entity that we can talk to. They're, they're something that, that are us, but they're also something that we can, we can talk to. 
That might sound weird, but the reality is we're always listening. This is kind of shutting down the, the monkey mind, the what ifs that keep us afraid and in despair, the uh, grievances that we've faced that our wounded soul will just always bring up, always bring up that we can just get stuck in. The things that people have done, people haven't done, the dumb stuff that we have done. And in that, by an act of, of effort, of will, we, we talk to our souls. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I'm telling them, put your hope in God. This isn't, this isn't repression, because obviously our psalmist is being very, very open about you have forgotten me and your waves and breakers are crushing me every day. But what we're doing is we're, we're stopping the, the broken bent of our souls into bitterness and ranting and isolation, and we're saying, stop. Why are you downcast? Put your hope in God. So there's that call to hope. It's not a silver bullet. You can say, like, okay. Your soul isn't like, okay, thanks, Josh. I'll now hope. But you're stopping the, stopping the monkey mind. The next thing is in verse 6. The first full sentence of verse 6. It's a weird break. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. This word remember in the original language is, is very profound. It, it, it's, it's closer to chew or like masticate, like, like just like really savor like a steak. This isn't just like, let me re remember some facts of like dates and stuff like that. It's like, I will remember you, like who you are. I'll meditate. It's closer to meditate or chew on who you are. This is what we were talking about, getting the Psalms into us, letting God define himself according to his terms, according to his word. So we talk to our souls and then, and then we meditate. What are, what, are you, what are you meditating on? And this is like such a powerful thing because if you're like me, I want pizza and movies when I'm in despair. I just want to like hit the eject button and just like eat food and watch movies and not think about anything. But what am I meditating on there? Like what, like what is like capturing my heart and my mind? It's not the, the only hope that will save, the, save, save me from the despair. And so there's that a active move towards God and specifically his word. Jesus says in John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciples. There's just like, there's, there's just no separation for uh, being a Jesus follower and not abiding. It's not just like knowing it or even memorizing it. It's like living in it, like letting it be your reality. And so that's why we did the devotional because if, you know, scripture is something that doesn't make it into your day every day. Uh, or maybe only a few times a week or something like that, that's a great place to start, to just sneak in a psalm. And if it doesn't make sense, there's even a little explanation there. Uh, it, it, we don't need to, like, be Bible giants, you know, starting tomorrow. What we need is just God's word and, you know, chew on it and meditate, find ways to get it into our lives in edifying ways. And, and there's tons of grace for this. Um, and if... And some of us, if you grew up in the church, it's like, well, if you got your 15 minutes in the morning, then like, ha, ha, like you won the day and you don't have to think about God ever again. Uh, but what does it look like to be creative about getting more Jesus in your life? Like maybe you do your quiet time in the morning reading and journaling and then you sneak a psalm in at lunch or, or you listen to scripture on the way home from work instead of, you know, a, another podcast or something like that. None of these are commands or God will like you more kind of thing. This is just a way to em embrace our hope, to chew on 
uh, chew on who God is and let that hope become real. And look at the last, last part of uh, 5 and 11. It says, put your hope in God and I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. What we see here is, is there's, a, there's an action, there's, a, there's an act of will involved in fighting spiritual depression. And I want to go careful here because if you're someone who just like never really feels depressed and just like, you know, wants to go hammer something, then you can just be like, that's right, that's what I've been saying. Just stop whining and get stuff done. That's not really what we're, what we're saying here. It's like we act by, by effort, by intentional actions of will to, to, to direct our hope whether it's stopping the self-talk, the soul talk that's kind of leading to despair, whether it's um, putting God's word before us, whether it's an effort to just not eat a whole pizza or you know, whatever, whatever it is for you. Because sometimes in our culture, we want to like be true to ourselves. Like if it's not like what we really feel, then it's not really authentic and we're like being like false or something. And that's just a really foolish way to go about life. The most obvious example is if you're married or you want to be married. Like, do you want your spouse to only do things when they feel like it? <laughs> you know, when it's like only makes sense to them and just like flows out of like Twitter patient? Like, no, you know, you, you love each other by serving each other with effort, with a, with a choice of will. And so that's what, that's what we're seeing here is that in, the, in the, the downward spiral where everything feels hopeless, like what is like one little step? You're saying, you're telling yourself, put your hope in God, I will yet praise him. What's one little way that you can acknowledge his worth and beauty in your life? At the end of the day, this, this act of will, I think, kind of captures somewhat of the heart uh, of the disciples in John 6. John 6 has like 70 some verses in it. It's this like beast of a chapter. And Jesus says really difficult things. He's got a lot of hype because he fed 5,000 people and then they come and they want more food. And he says really offensive teachings and people start leaving. And he turns to his disciples who gotta be a little uncomfortable. Like they gotta be a little bit ashamed. And he's like, well, are you gonna leave too? And Peter says, where else can we go? To, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so you just see this picture of like feeling ashamed, standing next to Jesus, who you think is pretty great, but like everybody's mad at him and leaving. And you're like, there's nowhere else to go. This is where I am. That's what, that's what the, this, I will yet praise him. I will put my hope in God is. It's just like taking little steps because there's just nowhere else to go. What, what other hope do we have in our, in our hopelessness? So my prayer is that this will, uh, again, just give us uh, peace, give us some, some freedom to feel despair, cause us to consider our experience with God's people, his word, and, and how we participate in, in life and our roles. And then let's just wait for the hope uh, that we can have in Christ by the power of the Spirit. Let me pray.